Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome one, welcome all. Thank you for tuning in to Hail Yes, the Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan Athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for The Free, joined by Reiner Sabin, our Big Ten insider who covers both Michigan and Michigan State for us. And Reiner, I'm now very happy. It's week three, and I'm happy because that means the non-conference season is about to get over and Big Ten slate is here. However, you will be attending, as we just mentioned, our Big Ten Insider. You have a big matchup this weekend in a number of ways. Michigan State, Washington is where you will be, correct? I will be there. Yeah, actually see a Power 5 uh, opponent uh, play one of the Michigan teams. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, who knew that could happen in September out, outside the conference? Um, and then, however, just so everybody's aware, we were just discussing how you're discussing how uh, you're going to record and watch the Michigan game right after. So we'll have plenty to talk about uh, the next time uh, we, we record next Monday. But for now, if uh, I'm it still is week alive. three. If, if I'm still alive. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's that's going to be yeah. your second very yeah. aggressive turn in three yeah. weeks. How do you feel about that? It's uh, it's rough. You know, I had to do the the Central Michigan game Friday and week one and then turn around to do the Michigan East Carolina game. Uh, like five hours afterwards um but yeah so uh i'm getting used to it uh i should be run down by week week four (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say everyone has their small violins playing i'm sure sympathies are are pouring in from all across the country for you um thoughts and prayers certainly but all right here, here here's what we're gonna do uh as always we start out with three thoughts uh and now that we have a little bit of sample size, we're going to look at each of us have identified someone who has positively surprised us, somebody who has perhaps not quite lived up to the expectations we expected. And then our, our third thought is just lessons from last season, things they did last season or things maybe they didn't do last year and sort of how they're applying it this season and what we think of that. On the other side of the break, uh, it's obviously Bowling Green week. Uh, Michigan is favored by 40, count them, 40 and a half points. Uh, so nobody is expecting this to be much test, but there's still a game. There's still plenty to learn about and actually a lot of interesting connections between Michigan and Bowling Green that we're going to get into. And then in section three, I don't want to call it our favorite section because we like it all, but we do enjoy the picks, even though none of us have a winning record. Uh, that's when we bring in our man, Andrew Burkle, as well uh, for section three and the picks as one of us uh, tries to get uh, out of the negative. Um, but we're starting this episode on a positive note because a lot of things are happening positively around the Michigan football program, number two in the nation at 2-0. and Reiner, who has positively surprised you? Which player has positively surprised you the most to start the 2023 season? I mean, I would have to say Roman Wilson from, uh, you know, just uh, week one to, you know, through week two. I mean, it was just, uh, you know, such a difference maker in the passing game, and he's been 
uh, at times, you know, very dynamic, uh, you know, going into the season, uh, you know, much was made of the fact that the receiver group didn't have anybody listed on one of the preseason award watch lists, like so many of the other players at all the other position groups. And, you know, that was kind of a, uh, conspicuous by their absence was, was the receiver group. And, you know, here's a, here's a guy who, you know, has kind of been in the program for a while, has, has flashed at times, but just has never quite put it together from one week to the next, maybe. Now you're seeing this is the third really good performance uh, in a row uh, going back to the college football playoff game against TCU. And, uh, you know, he's just, uh, you know, been a number one type of receiver for J.J. McCarthy, which is also was a question mark going into the season. Would would they have a go-to receiver and who is going to be that guy? And clearly Roman Wilson has raised his hand there. It was one of my number one questions, without uh, to be certain. Uh, and when Jim Harbaugh gave him the number one jersey in fall camp, I I, I won't lie, I was I was skeptical, and I was wondering if it was perhaps, uh, if nothing else, a move to instill confidence. Just because I mean, Roman Wilson is extremely talented, right? He did not become. I mean, sure, he got slightly stronger, perhaps a little faster, but he didn't com- become some quick quick twitch athletic freak overnight. I mean, he has long been uh, an incredible speedy receiver and it was just about opportunity and, and things sort of lining up. And so maybe it was confidence. I'm not sure what it was that, that finally, finally clicked as well as like, again, like we said, opportunity, but man, this, I mean, whether or not the competition has been a tick down, this does not feel like any sort of uh, fluke or like it's because of the fact that they're in, in, in the non-power five. I mean, now <laughs> I'm not expecting him to have two to three touchdowns every single game, obviously. Uh, however, for him to be that reliable guy for J- for JJ McCarthy, I mean, he certainly seems to be the the one he's looking for. Well, and the one the one question, you know, again, they haven't really thrown deep. And last year, I mean, that, they were just off on a couple of throws last year that were thrown deep uh if i recall the one against iowa really stood out i think where uh he was streaking and almost i think running a post pattern and you know just missed and that was an issue last year too where you know jj just sort of seemed like they, they were out of rhythm at times especially in the deep passing game we haven't really seen much of the deep passing game so that's like the last thing that needs to be checked off essentially but you know assuming that you know roman wilson is going to be uh, targeted on those plays, I, I have a feeling that they're going to he's going to deliver because again that was slightly resolved by the end of last season. I mean, again, uh, the play that was controversial with with the touchdown, no touchdown that led to the fumble against TCU. I mean, that was a that was a deep shot too, and you know Roman Wilson was the guy there. So I would think you, you'll see him running those patterns deep and and being that guy. Uh, for, for J.J. McCarthy as well. Right. And even though the deep passing game has not quite hit, the intermediate passing game oh, right. sure yeah. has. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and that, they didn't even have that last year, right? Like it was, right. it was five and 10 yard passes as opposed to 10 and 15. Tons of, I mean, Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson between them, I think have mm-hmm. 15 plays between 12 and 18 yards. It's just mm-hmm. very consistent chunk plays and, 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 they, mm-hmm. and they've done it a ton. Uh, so the, the person I'm looking at uh, for, for my positive surprise on the other side of the ball. Um, and there's a couple of people I could have chosen in this exact position group, but I went with Kenneth Grant and, uh, I was debating Mason Graham as well. Uh, the, 
both sophomore uh, defensive tackles who have been tremendous through two weeks. But I went with KG because, uh, I mean, frankly, Mason was a little bit ahead of him last season. And I think so far this year, uh, uh, Kenneth Grant has been just about every every bit as disruptive. Uh, he had four tackles uh, last weekend, two and a half were for a loss, one and a half uh, of those was a sack. He, he batted a ball at the line of scrimmage. The week before, he batted a ball at the line of scrimmage, and it led to Mike Sainer-Stills' interception. Uh, today, defensive line coach Mike Elston uh, was really sort of detailing just uh, like – I mean, he said he's still scratching the surface, which really makes you wonder uh, where, where, where he can get to. But he was just talking. I mean, of course, he's 335, 340 pounds. But he's got those – I think Mike did a great job explaining. He's got those big, long arms. And when you line him up on the interior – he's lined up over a center or a guard, he can extend, right? And and uh, interior linemen who have shorter arms are just not built to be able to maintain that block. So he can block destruct one of Jesse Minter's four pillars and, and wrap up. And you've seen him do that tremendously through two weeks. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of uh, a year in the making. I mean, Jim Harbaugh said back in, I think it was July of... Uh, 2022 that Kenneth Grant was the gift from the football gods that led to the hype, you know, before his, you know, even played his first snap at at the college level. And then, you know, the spring, there was a lot of talk about him kind of, you know, stepping up, you know, obviously with Mozzie Smith being gone, um, you know, whether, you know, how much of an impact could he possibly make? You know, he said, I think all eyes are on me. And so uh, sure enough, I mean, he's kind of, you know, I guess lived up to the expectations that everybody kind of had for him going back a year. And it's just kind of, you know, now coming to fruition for him. But I mean, again, it's a matter of opportunity and, you know, him getting integrated into the system. It seemed like Mason Graham was obviously on a faster track, was able to kind of uh, be counted on earlier in his career than Kenneth Grant. But now Grant might have the, you know, better upside. Who knows? Uh, you know, now that he's, you know, in the fold and has actually, um, you know, really kind of taken on a, you know, uh, a new level as far as just being able to kind of uh, affect uh, the quarterback from the, you know, the inside position, the zero position. Right. Well, the, well, the, the upside is, is a good question. And I guess it's sort of it, it's a beauty is in the eye of the beholder sort of thing. It depends. I, I would Maybe imagine at least right now in in what you need because as Elston was explaining, um, just in as what we keep saying, Mason slightly farther along in his development, they are willing to line him up not just in the zero like as you said zero or one or two technique which is uh, over the guard, but they will get him three tech outside like on the tackle shoulder or even outside mm-hmm. the tackle. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kenneth Grant, they're not taking him outside the guard. So, right. uh, and, and so so it's 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 a good question. I, I don't know because I think both of these players have such incredibly high ceilings. Uh, it's it, it's it's tough to tell, and it's one of those. It's like picking a Bosa, right? Uh, I, I mean, you're <laughs> you're you're ending up with a really great player I, I, either way. And I just one more story about uh, Kenneth Grant was one of the two uh, players who Jim Harbaugh called a gift to the football gods. And la- yesterday evening yesterday, I should say. Right now we're recording on Wednesday. So Tuesday evening, uh, Mason Graham was one of the players uh, uh, we spoke with uh, at Chen Beckler Hall 
And, and I just wanted to ask him, because I didn't know if anyone had asked him this question. Uh, did you know that Jim Harbaugh was talking about you when, when he said this thing about the gift of the football gods? And Mason said he did not know until this spring, May. He's like, I'd always heard something about gift from the football gods, but he's like, he's like, I never really paid attention to it. And he, he didn't know that he, he was one of them. So he thought, he mm-hmm. thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but as good as the interior uh, of the defensive line has been, uh, and, and I think this next player is still a pretty good player. There is someone who I think was on your quote unquote disappointing list. Yeah. Just disappointing because, you know, he was so hyped before the season and that would be Chris Jenkins. Uh, you know, he hasn't made as visible of an impact as say Kenneth Graham and really Mason Graham. And he plays the same position. And again, he was talked about as being this like incredible playmaker you know, top end of the first round type talent, potentially, you know, they thought that he could bust into, you know, that level as far as the uh, NFL draft. And, you know, again, it's very early on in the season, but just that real measurable impact, that visible impact, I haven't seen, uh, you know, he doesn't stand out from uh, a down to down, whereas like Kenneth Grant really has caught my eye. And like, you know, Mesa Graham has caught my eye. And it feels like they're in on, a lot of these plays more so than even Chris Jenkins. And so it's not even like he's a disappointment in that it's just been, you know, you, you know, unproductive and there, there's nothing there. It's just the fact that he was so hyped going into the season, you know, on the freaks list and, and so on and so forth with uh, Bruce Feldman's, you know, athletic list or whatever. And, and it just, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk in, about him uh, in the, in the months leading up to this year. Right. Relative to expectation. Uh, yeah, so certainly. I, I can see I can see that. But uh, I, I don't think you are. I don't think you're off. You're not selling Chris Jenkins stock. Is that correct? No, absolutely not. I just, you know, I haven't okay. seen. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to buy it. I'm no, going to buy it up. If, yeah, if you're selling no, no, right no, no, now. no, no, no. I'm not. I, I'm not doing that. I'm, what I'm saying is that, like, you know, when somebody is that, you know, hyped and has those kind of expectations, you expect them to make a huge impact, especially against lower level competition like UNLV in East Carolina. Right. And he hasn't so, done that. Yeah. Yeah. And he, so he is someone who didn't even have a chance to be on the positive surprise list, right? Because there's nothing he could do that, that would surprise us. So just, just for what it's worth, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, but no, to be sure, I think we both probably expected the numbers to be a little better for Chris Jenkins, even though last year, I mean, and, and from the interior, defensive line position it is not a stat producing position right it is a block eating position to let the linebackers clean up but to your point kg mason have still been more productive from the exact same spot yeah Um, and he was he was supposed to be a big part of the pass rush i mean and and you can make it he said he wanted 10 sacks yeah you can make an argument that uh you know again kenneth grant and mason graham have been better from you know creating pressure than than chris jenkins has i think that is borne out statistically too yeah, yeah, and he did get it home on how on on the sack last week, uh, at least a share of one. Um, right. My, right. my my the guy I'm looking at, uh, we've mentioned him on a number of podcasts thus far. Uh, it's it's Donovan Edwards, um, the, the the running game that still has not quite gotten going for Michigan, um, but it's going at certainly different levels when Blake Corum is running the ball versus when Donovan Edwards is running the ball. Blake Corum, uh, ten carries for seventy two the first week. Um, 15 carries for 80 the next week. So that's uh, seven yards of touch and then five and a half or so. So far 
this year, Donovan Edwards, 18 rushes, 46 yards. That's two and a half yards per carry. And uh, I mean, I, I mean, the real concern is uh, outside of one rush of 14 yards, he has one for 14 and one for 11. His other 16 rushes have gone for uh, 25 yards. Um, I mean, I mean, it's just, or excuse me, that was bad math. I've gone for 21 yards. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, and, and it's not, it's, and while the numbers are, are, are tough by themselves, it's if you like actually look at whether it's a zone run, whether it's a gap run, whether he's going in between the tackles, outside the tackles. I mean, it, it's getting shut down pretty much every which way. So when he's running outside, like even the tight ends, right end or left end, he has been at his best. 10 of his carries for 30 of his yards. Uh, but the other eight carries um, in, in between the tackles are just for, and so he's averaging three yards a carry on those. And on the other eight carries for in between the tackles, 16 yards, two yards a pop. Um, so yes, uh, of course they are using him in the passing game, but uh, e- even there he's been somewhat limited. He has nine receptions, but not even quite 60 yards. And so just, for, for such an explosive player uh, to have on the order of nearly 30 touches and not much more than 100 all-purpose yards is is really surprising to me. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, we, we asked Ron more about it, and, you know, he didn't sound like he was too concerned about that. But, I mean, of course, what is he going to say? I mean, you know, uh, and, you know, he kind of – I asked him if, you know, he's more – Donovan's more of a one-cut runner. And the reason why I asked that was because, again, Donovan has mentioned trying to co-opt aspects of of Quorum's game. And Quorum's game is a little bit more of wiggle and being able to get uh, out of, uh, you know, tight quarters and and break loose that way. And that really isn't Donovan Edwards' game. I mean, Donovan Edwards seems more of like a one-cut, boom, you know, he's going to hit the hole. Yeah, yeah, hit the hole. And, and and run and uh he's more of a straight line runner he doesn't have that elusive wiggle that that Blake Quorum he, he you know he's not the same back and so uh I asked him about whether you know he he could do that's how he should be viewed as a one cut and you know sure more disagreed and said he can do both but I think you know if you watch some of the runs that Donovan Edwards has he it looks like he's trying to you know find that perfect hole and and you know maybe wiggle out of things instead of just you know hitting you know the the whole what you know or whatever crease that opens up instantly and bursting through to that and i think there's a, some tentativeness there because he's looking to do some of the quorum stuff that he does to kind of you know break those long runs yeah there might be some of that and i wrote before week two, after week one, um, I, I liked w- at least the things that Donovan was telling me um, because it really seemed like just educationally he was understanding. He was saying how a big part of his growth in the maturation process this year is not trying to do too much understanding. You do not have to hit the home run every time, but accepting what the defense is giving you. And so, and I thought that was a good sign after week one where he was, I guess, somewhat humbled by East Carolina keeping them in the box. And he had said it. He's like, look, like eventually there's only so much you can do. You just got to protect the ball, fall forward and get down. And I thought that was a good sign. 
But then against UNLV, to your point, it did feel like he was trying to do a little too much, waiting for for things to 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 open up or, or for this magical lane. Um, and now there is a little bit of bad luck, right? Like uh, like a, I equated to a starting pitcher in the major leagues, the guy in the majors who just doesn't get the run support that year. There's always one guy who gets no run support, right? On some of these runs, it feels like Donovan has had nowhere to go. Right. Like like there, there, there just hasn't been anything he could do. And there's not enough sample to offset. Like there's not enough carries to offset that yet. So it, it's it's both. But I did have him on my on my disappointment list, not just because of that. I, I agree with that. I mean, wholeheartedly. And, you know, the the other thing is like I, even in space, he's been tackled pretty quickly. I mean, it's not like he's uh taking advantage i mean there are a couple a few times and he has been able to get out in his space he's been tracked down pretty quickly and i don't know what that's all about and it, it seems seems strange considering you know he was so good uh you know when it when he was uh out freely and and basically was one-on-one with the defender but um or or there was a defender chasing him from behind and just couldn't catch up to him and this time it seems like they're having a little bit better shot at at catching up to him. So before he even gets going and into, you know, and, and picks up the major gain or whatever. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's a little bit concerning for sure. And certainly he would qualify as a disappointment so far. I, I think, I think we're on, uh, on the same page there. And then I guess we'll just move that into, into our third thought, uh, which is, is sort of building on sort of lessons from last year, uh, into this year, like like you you alluded to Donovan Edwards trying to bring some of Blake Corum's game into his own, right? So every offseason, you you look at what you did well last year, what you didn't do, how you can how you can improve, um, and, and all those sorts of things. And and so I guess now is as good a time to to sort of look at those as any um, to to start seeing. How, how much improvement Michigan has or hasn't made. And one of the places that stood out to you, Reiner, uh, I guess, was play action. Yeah, yeah, I think, the, you know, they've uh, picked up where they left off last year. Play action was very effective for them uh, last season. This year, J.J.'s 12 for 12 uh, for 219 yards and the 47-yard touchdown to Roman Wilson against UNLV off play action. Um, obviously, th- that's largely affected by how strong your run game is. And while the run game has been a little bit weaker, it's pretty interesting that the pass, the play action pass has almost been more effective. Uh, so, I mean, teams still are honoring the run. I mean, Jim Harbaugh alluded to that where it seems like, you know, the linebackers um, uh, are already at the kind of line of scrimmage, essentially, uh, when the, you know, after the ball snap and, you know, JJ is dropping back. So, I mean, that creates a lot of uh, yardage underneath, um, uh, you know, and also at the second level, second and third levels too. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that's something that really tried to tap into. They studied it all off season and, you know, they looked at the lions play action uh, and obviously they've, you know, the lions have uh, done a lot with their run game, using it as the basis of their, their entire offense and, and playing off of that. And so, uh, they're a good good team to study for that, and you know, again, they've really, um, you know, Michigan's made it a, a focus of their off season to to improve that aspect, and so far, it's bearing uh, bearing fruit. 
you know, that intermediate passing game that we were talking about earlier, right? When the mm-hmm. linebackers yeah. come down and the safeties sure. are still up and just there's <laughs> there's a large window there. But I'm yeah. glad what you said um, about how Michigan was successful last year with the play action, because a lot of people are maybe I'm, I'm misreading it or mishearing it. But I've heard a lot of questions and a lot of talk around the, the play action game. And, and people are talking like, I mean, obviously it has been phenomenal and flawless this year, but people are acting like it just came out of nowhere. J.J. McCarthy averaged more yards per pass on play, per yards per, per attempt on play action passes than any quarterback in the nation last year. So this was the way Michigan got shots downfield. It was how they picked up uh, chunk plays in, in the passing game. So that's not changed. Uh, it's just improved, at, at least in my mind. Um and, and another thing that that I saw that I think you maybe don't quite agree with uh, in, in terms of a change or or balancing how things happened last year and 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 re- sort of reacting to it this year, also in relation to the passing game, is the way they're using their tight ends. Uh, we talked to Grant Newsom, the tight ends coach today, and he was just talking about how last year he felt – he used Luke Schoonmaker too frequently. That is what wore him down, why he ended up getting hurt. Um, in some ways, the, the the numbers do bear that out. So starting uh, at the Maryland game. So the first three games of the year, Eric all also played. Um, so Luke Schoonmaker was sort of that second tight end. He was more the blocking tight end where, um, where A.J. Barner is playing this year. But once... Eric all went out. Schoonmaker translated more over to that wide tight end, the the, the primary. Um, and from then, starting at Maryland, he had 52, 61, 67, 71, and 74 snaps. Then at Rutgers, he had 52. I believe that's where he got hurt. He missed a game against Nebraska, a game against Illinois, and then sort of wore down, never played more than 45 snaps uh, again the rest of the year. And that is... That is, I, I think that's part of the reason. Maybe the competition certainly has to do with the, with the reason that the, the tight end snaps have been spread out. But Grant Newsom today said uh, it's it's one of his regrets from last year, sort of running uh, Scooney as he called him in, into the ground, uh, and and he just wants to be a little more conscious about that this season. I mean, I, I agree to some extent. I mean, you obviously want to you know lower the snap count because I mean it's you know it's a, t- a tough position to play. However, I mean, that was uh, circumstantial with Schoonmaker. I mean, Eric All was out, you know, uh, after week three. Um, I think or maybe even starting week three, I, if I recall correctly. And then also, um, you know, the fact is, is that they were having to try to integrate, you know, Colson Loveland more. Uh, he was a freshman. Um, and you can see that they didn't were really confident in his blocking ability. Uh, at all, and then still, I don't know if they're totally confident in it. To be honest with you, right now, which is hence why you have Barner. And so, like, I think mar- part of the tight end usage is because of what each can do differently. I think they all br- bring different skill set, um, and they are used uh, accordingly. And the fact is, is that you know Michigan still likes to run the ball a lot, so you're probably going to see a lot of a- AJ Barner, which is why he has a higher snap count than say Colston Loveland, even though. Colson Loveland probably has a much bigger upside than obviously A.J. Barner as a tight end. So, uh, I mean, I think that some of it has to do with with scheme and what they really want to accomplish offensively. And so I think I think that's a, as much to do as whether they want to, you know, kind of lower the snap count to preserve health over the course of the season. 
You're right. And Newsom said as much. I mean, he said yeah. it's it's personnel based and situation yeah. based, right? Like, yeah. like right. technically, week one, Max Bredesen was a starter. Why? Right. Because Michigan was backed up on its own end zone. They needed him to line up as the H back. And so he's the starter. But Max Bredesen is is the third tight end on the depth chart if you were actually going in order. Um, or second behind one of them at, at a spot. So 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 so, so your point. Your point remains, but I, I just thought it was it, it was interesting when when there's so little that we can take from these games, Reiner. Uh, I, I I I look for little nuggets, little just things to sort of pocket and take away and, and remember for later. That's one that that, that I'm gonna just file away. Yeah, I mean uh, it's understandable. I mean, you know, again, uh, it, you know, there's a reason why a lot of these teams use the catapult system, you know, to monitor practice and. Uh, you know, how much, you know, people are, you know, workloads and they scale it back. I mean, Saban did that at Alabama, wrote a whole story about that, actually, just how they've used that system, not only for just uh, monitoring, like, uh, you know, energy towards the end of the season, but also just I- injury recovery and being able to get did back you, on the field quicker. <laughs> did you just plug a piece of yours from five years ago at your <laughs> Alabama paper? Yep, it's true. Yes, I did. Yep, and it's, it's a good piece. It actually won, the, won an award. So there you go. Oh, that yeah. a boy, yeah. company yeah. man. Yep, exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Have you won yeah. an award for us yet? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, my first year I was here. So, not not a, not national. I was local. So, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll still take it. That's why. Yeah. That's why we keep you around. All right, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, that'll that'll wrap up the first part. On the other side. It is Bowling Green Week, so we do need to talk a little bit about the opponent. Uh, Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. All right, week three, Bowling Green is on the schedule. Bowling Green, Reiner, did you know, is where all Chevrolet Corvettes have been built since 1981. I did not know that. I did not. I mean, I've seen the stadium when you are going along 23, and it's about my extent of Bowie Green knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope you know a little bit more about that because Michigan is about to play the Falcons, the one and one Falcons. And I know I do know you know slightly more than that, uh, even even if you'd like to, to let us on. I also looked up another fun fact. Um, so why is it called Bowling Green? It was settled in 1780 by Robert and George Moore and Tradition suggests that their sport of bowling wooden balls across the green gave the city its name. I don't know which green, but that's what it said. Also, um, you know, a Michigan uh, favorite Urban Meyer coach there once upon a time. There's, there are a ton of ties. Uh, I, I guess that, yeah. that's as, actually as good a jumping off point as, mm-hmm. as any um, mm-hmm. is uh, the number of Michigan ties to Bowling Green, uh, it's phenomenal. Of, co- of course, uh, Jim Harbaugh's father, Jack, uh, he went to school there. It's where mm-hmm. Jack met uh, Jim's mother, Jackie, uh, in an English class is what, is what Jim told us. He said they, uh, they were just pulling out old photos of 
uh, Jim, or excuse me, Jack in his in his thirteen jersey uh, with his mom as a cheerleader behind him. That that would be pretty awesome. Uh, uh, there's no doubt uh, to see um, when when Jim then Jack went back uh, to coach as an assistant when Jim was four, five, five six years old uh, for 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 a couple years. Um, and, and that's just the, the beginning. So Scott Leffler, Mich- the coach for Bowling Green, a former yeah. Michigan quarterback, quarterback right? Mm-hmm. And what I found out today, Reiner, did you know that he was roommates with Mike Elston, the defensive line coach? I did not know that. Um, you know, uh, that, that was interesting. And so, yeah, there's, there are some deep ties there. Um, you know, the, uh, um, but it makes sense. I mean, the proximity of Bowling Green to Ann Arbor, uh, I mean, it's, you know, about an hour away. So, I mean, it's not that, and, and, not, and not Mac, that crazy. Yeah. Mac has long been, I mean, Beauchamp Beckler has long been a, a stepping stone conference in, into the big 10. Absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and we're, and, uh, you see that, uh, in, in, in other places, uh, on, on this staff, like, uh, Steve Morrison, uh, yep. the code, the co-defensive coordinator for Bowling Green, um, he was also on the team at Mi- at Michigan with Elston, uh, with Leffler in the '90s. Uh, he he's from Birmingham, Michigan. Uh, he actually he got it. I was looking into him a little bit. He got to start at Brother Rice at Brother yeah. Rice High School. Um, I'll never 2000- forget. I'll never forget Steve Morrison because uh, if I recall correctly, he was right down at the end of the field when uh, Corzell Stewart threw the miraculous touchdown to beat Michigan uh, at the end of the game. So I remember that. Specifically, I remember remember his jersey. I think it was thirty six. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. While you, while you look into that, I was one yeah. years old. If that was ninety four, was it ninety four? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I was I was one, so I do not recall. That is slightly before my Michigan football recollection. But um, just to, just to round out the Steve Morrison point. Um, I mean, he had stopped at Western and Eastern. Uh, he's he's been, he's been at Michigan as well. So um, and then Eric Campbell. Uh, the, he's the passing game coordinator and the wide receivers coach for Bowling Green. He coached at Michigan from 95 to 2007. Uh, he, he was the one who recruited Braylon Edwards. So pretty important uh, person there. And uh, he came back as the recruiting coordinator uh, for, for Jim Harbaugh's first year in 2015. So, I, I mean, listen to all of those ties. It's, it's actually nuts. Mm-hmm. And I was right. It was 36 that his number was Steve Morrison. So <laughs> good, good for you. Good. for am, you. Okay. Uh, and, and in case we're, we're going to keep this theme going with all these, these ties to these programs, Reiner, uh, the, mm-hmm. the quarterback uh, of Bowling Green is Connor Bazelak from Missouri, mm-hmm. went to Indiana. And of course, by going to Indiana, he was at Indiana last year. Not only did he start the game against Michigan, uh, but his understudy, Jack Tuttle, uh, a captain is now on Michigan's roster, as was A.J. Barner, uh, who he said, who I think it was a game against Idaho or Wyoming. <laughs> They're slightly interchangeable in my mind. I apologize mm-hmm. uh, that um, Bazelak actually threw Barner a touchdown uh, against. So 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 A.J. was saying he's excited to, to see his old buddy. But um, Michigan should <laughs> there's nothing Connor Bazelak should do or could do should be able to catch Michigan by surprise. No, I don't think so. I mean, again, um you know, the, the, Michigan has not faced uh, really any kind of deep shots from any of the quarterbacks. Um, it doesn't look like Connor Bazelak is going to be able to do that either. I think he's 0 for 7 with uh, one interception on passes of 20 yards or more. So, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a case where, um, again, I don't know how much he realistically could challenge them 
Uh, he wasn't able to challenge them, obviously, against Indiana. Um, he's coming in with a arguably much weaker team uh, against Michigan. So I don't I don't see how that passing game is really going to threaten, uh, you know, threaten Michigan. I don't see how, uh, you know, Connor Bazelak is going to threaten Michigan at all. So, I mean, Scott Leffler is going to have to come up with some amazing scheme, you know, that basically flubbix the, you know, Michigan because they're, again, it's, you know, it's about the Jimmys and the Joes versus the X's and the O's. And, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, it's going to end up uh, in Bowling Green's favor at all at any point, even in, in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Michigan will not have its gym, uh, they have plenty, plenty of Joes this week. Uh, wow, that was a terrible joke. Um, but, but certainly Connor Bazelak, uh, I mean, <laughs> he was on a better, on a more talented team last year, uh, and and it was far from far from enough. Uh, Twenty five of forty nine for two hundred and three yards. Uh, that is an average of four point one yards per pass. Uh, Reiner, this was my first game as taking over on the beat down in Bloomington, so it is ingrained, seared into my mind. Screen pass bubble. Bubble screen. I mean, nothing downfield. They were they ne- they never uh, tested anything, and it's why Michigan's defense in the second half. I mean, just completely shut everything down. I, I think 150 of those yards of the 200 must have been in the first half. I'd be surprised if he had more than 50. There, uh, yeah, yeah. The break. yeah, they were having more, some some success with you know mixing up the formations, and I think you know early, early with with, early with tempo. Out, yeah. Yeah, tempo, early, which has given yeah. Michigan problems for years. Right. But, that was short, but short of that, no, mm-hmm. nothing. They yeah, nothing. I mean, yeah, that, that was it. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Michigan has really, you know, going forward, ha- does handle tempo against, you know, really quality teams. Because, uh, you know, I, I think that they've gotten better at that since, you know, again, look at Michigan State in 2021. That I game was a, perfect, that was, a, that was a perfect example of them using tempo to yeah. – to, to mess up Michigan and Indiana was trying to do the same thing in that game. And uh, not again, they, they were able to adjust Michigan over the course of the game. And, you know, I, I think going forward, I don't think that's going to be as much of an issue, at, you know, especially as the, as this defense becomes more and more ingrained in the program. Yeah. Well said, well said. And, and in case, I mean, just for a final point on Connor Bazelak, I mean, mm-hmm. He he's also incredibly inconsistent. Even this year, I mean, right. he was benched week one against Liberty when he. I mean, he was just just not good. Uh, no no touchdowns, three picks, less than a hundred yards, fifty percent completion percentage. I mean, just awful. Last week against Eastern Illinois, much better, three touchdowns, no turnovers, uh, in a thirty eight to fifteen win. Um, and he he does actually have so so some decent pieces around him. Uh, the, uh, uh, some of them have some pr- names that are in my mind, difficult to pronounce. So I think it's a, a do Hilaire. Um, uh, they're the top wide receiver. He had eight catches for 97 yards and a score each week. Um, Teron Keith, the running back, he can run it. He can catch it out of the backfield, 120 receiving yards and Harold Fannin jr. Uh, they're tight end. So they have, they have someone in, in the running back core in the tight end room in the wide receiver room who Michigan does need to be aware of. Uh, and, and, uh, as Michigan's coaches have done, I mean, I mean, they they do think highly of Scott Leffler and 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 his concepts, his schemes, uh, which uh, El- Mike Elston said were a little less "quote unquote" gimmicky uh, than than the the few he's seen the first week in East Carolina and UNLV. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, you know, Leffler's been around a long time. He's obviously familiar with Michigan's roster, you know, just by. Uh, by proximity and uh, connections to the program. And so he'll, 
I mean, I'm sure he'll be able to come up with some stuff just given the familiarity that he has with, with the Wolverines and, and, uh, you know, his alma mater, but I just don't think, um, you know, based on the talent level, it's, it's just going to be a fair fight at all. It's just going to be kind of a rehash of the first two games where, you know, again, the defense is just able to limit things because again, the offense, the opposing offense is limited in themselves. So, uh, they're not going to be tested again, and it allows the defense to play less honestly, honest, and focus. Uh, you know, uh, and, and be able to kind of concentrate things. Uh, you know, in the first and second levels, and their focus because they're not really threatened deep. And so, um, I would expect to see some more heavy pass rush, and you know, Michigan uh, defensive linemen getting home and creating trouble for Basilak. I, I do foresee that as well. Um, whether that's enough to cover the spread or if you and I think it is, we will find out on the other side of the break when we bring in our producer and sports editor, Andrew Burkle, to help us sort all that out. So one last little bit of set of bills to pay. Don't go away because we'll give us some picks on the other side. You're listening to Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. As promised, we are back with the picks, uh, but Reiner and I cannot do it alone. We need our trusty right-hand man, Andrew Burkle himself. What's going on, Andrew? Oh, not too much. Uh, busy week so far. Uh, just as I've told uh, you guys that I just uh, we just got a finally had an offer on a house accepted. So that was hard getting done, but now a lot of other steps from here on out. So busy week, but ready to make some college football picks and redeem myself i've had an awful record after talking all kinds of crap before the season even started i was i was going to say um quite literally a five-year-old uh could, could do what you're doing andrew uh just randomly blindly picking andrew at two and five on the season reiner and i only one game better each <laughs> yeah. three and four uh, can you hop off your high horse for a second there with oh, oh I, no I, but i didn't wow. gas myself well i didn't gas myself <laughs> up though that's the thing i said i was terrible and i I, w- I was honest with the people from the beginning you said you were gonna lap me that's the distinction my friend um but let's see if we can not all get some let's all get some wins this week what do you say that sounds like a plan and uh, from what I can tell here, based on some pre pre uh, podcast conversations, we might be uh, heading in some similar directions here. So, all right, well, we'll start with you, Tony. Bowling Green in Michigan, obviously, this is a Michigan podcast. We're going to pick the Wolverines game, forty and a half points. Uh, Tony, what do you, what do you, which direction are you going with this one here? Yeah, I picked Michigan to cover the spread each of the first two weeks. Obviously, they did that in neither. Uh, and it, it's just hard. The spread is even larger this week. Um, it's just hard to see. I mean, Michigan's yet to score 40 points in the game, right? They haven't scored more than 35, and they need 41, and that's if they get the shutout. And Bowling Green, I think, is at least at the level uh, of UNLV thereabout. I just 
I just don't think there's enough time. Could Michigan, if they wanted to win this game by 42 points? Yeah, but the way they're trying to uh, really instill the running game, um, I don't think they're going to run it up on their buddies. Uh, I mean, they said they wanted to get Jaden Denegal in the game. They want to get Alex Orgy in the game. Uh, I mean, they, they are trying. This is the last time before Big Ten play. There's going to be – we're going to see some second stringers, third stringers in the game earlier. Uh, they win with no problems, uh, but they do not cover the spread. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I think it's a good point to make that, again, there's some connections across the field there. I mean, I don't, they're not going to want to run up the score here. And, you know, I also think that, uh, like you said, they'll probably try to get some of the uh, second and third stringers in even earlier, um, you know, against the team that they're expected to clobber. So, uh, I mean, 40 and a half points is a lot, too. I mean, it just, you know, when they haven't even scored 40, uh, yet. So um, I'm just going to go with, uh, you know, Bowling Green here. Yeah. Well, that what makes three of us. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes three of us. Um, I'm also picking Bowling Green. I did the same thing as Tony, picked Michigan both the first two weeks. They have yet to score uh, more than 40 points, and this one is at 41. You guys made all the points, uh, and so I'm going to roll with Bowling Green here as well. Um, now watch all of us have picked against Michigan, and they're probably going to go out and absolutely roll them foot to the metal. But the last thing you said, Tony, as well, is kind of true about getting those guys in. I wouldn't be surprised if, if McCarthy doesn't doesn't see as much action as he maybe did in the first two games. Last opportunity to kind of get that back uh, backup quarterback position ironed out here before Big Ten play. Of course, based on how Michigan's performed the last few years, it wouldn't be shocking if they had some blowouts in Big Ten play either. So who knows? Um, but we we all are rolling with uh, Bowling Green in this one. So. Uh, the, the big one that everyone's going to have their eyes on across the country this weekend, and not necessarily because of the football, is Michigan State hosting Washington, who uh, gave Michigan State quite a few troubles last year on the West Coast. Uh, now they come over here to the Midwest with all kinds of outside circumstances. Uh, obviously, as everyone listening to this knows, probably uh, Mel Tucker currently suspended. Harlan Barnett filling in for the Spartans with coach Mark D'Antonio on the sidelines as well, returning uh, so, uh, Reiner, we'll start with you this time. How do you expect this one to go down? Yeah, I think M- MSU is going to be obviously extremely motivated. I mean, you know, Harlan Barnett uh, is very well liked within that program, and I think the players are going to respond well to him. Um, you know, and also, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe with D'Antonio being back, they could they could do some more things from a you know defensive back scan- standpoint, which obviously is a a big thing against, you know, Penix and, and Washington, uh, you know, again, D'Antonio is more of a press man guy, you know, really, you know, tried to challenge and reroute uh, receivers. I think, you know, that's important against Washington. I don't know if they're going to be able to be able to do that uh, necessarily, but maybe there, there's more of an emphasis on that this week. And, you know, we'll actually get to see that. Plus the fact that, you know, again, um, my, my, I would say my one, I guess counter argument to that is that, you know, Penix really did well against D'Antonio's team in 2019. And so that makes me a little bit hesitant to pick MSU in this, but I just think, you know, given the circumstances and everything, the fact that Washington's having to come all the way across country to play this game, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go with MSU in this one. I can see, I see both of those points that you made your original point and your counterpoint to your own point, Reiner. I I see it all because last year, uh, I mean, Washington just, I I mean, it was like there was no defense on the field for Michigan state. They were giving, I mean, they were playing 10 yards off 
anything under, yeah. underneath they wanted. And yet mm -hmm. somehow the point mm -hmm. of playing off coverage is so you're not beat deep. Yet time after time, there were Huskies receivers streaking down the field. I mean, it was oh. I mean, it was the, it was the beginning of the end for, for, for last season for MSU. And you wrote you wrote a good piece about it on Freep.com. I mean, just over the last year, what, what has happened to, to Michigan State. However, it has seen precipitous falls before and then bounced back. It never got to, to that upper echelon again. However, uh, I mean. Who better to have if you're Michigan State around than, I mean, not just Harlan, who's been there, but Mark D'Antonio. Um, I think we were talking offline. Andrew might have used the the word I, fairy dust or I don't know what it is. There is something about Mark D'Antonio when everything is counted against him and there is no possible way he can do it. That's exactly when he does it. So I am picking Michigan State to cover. Uh, I mean, I see this as either a three-point game in the fourth quarter or Washington's winning by 40, right? Like, I don't, I don't see it as any other way than really tight or, ju or just a blowout uh, from Washington. But after this week, Michigan State's going to have real trouble, right? Like, you can, only, you can only ride hype and momentum. You can only emotionally get up so many times. You know one of those has to be Michigan, maybe a Penn State, maybe an Ohio State. Like, eventually you run out. So they'll get this one, but not, not, not the win. They'll cover but after this, yeah, yeah. Well, let me be clear: they're cooperating. I'm not picking them to win. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, we got that. I alarmingly uh, once again agree with you guys as well. So that's six picks, six agreements here so far. We hate to see it. We we like when we did. It's more fun when we all disagree. But hey, if it is what it is. Um, all the all the reasons you guys said. Uh, Mark D'Antonio returning the energy. This is like a pro. I mean, it's like kind of like a cliche coach speak, but. This is a program game here. And for all the crap that went on for Michigan State this week, I think they actually kind of settled the coaching situation for the short term better than I thought they'd be able to. I mean, because you look at the coordinators, you have Jay Johnson and Scotty Hazleton. Neither of them have any head coaching experience or, or at this level especially. Um, so I, I thought all things considered, you get a guy who was kind of on the track a long time ago in Harlan Barnett. You bring back Antonio. It, everything. It's a huge game, by far the biggest game of the non-conference schedule. I think, like you guys said, they're going to get up for this one. Now, the only thing I will disagree with you guys on is, you know, next week they could be in trouble. If they somehow find a way to win this game, you know, we're both, we're all picking them to cover. Well, if they somehow win the game, then I could see a little more momentum carrying over to the next week. Cause now who, you got who is week for, who is week for? Uh, Maryland at home. Uh, Maryland is at home. Yeah, that's a. Is at home. Okay. Oh, that's that's a win. And then you hmm. then you beat Maryland. Then that's a winnable, that's a winnable I could game. See that carrying on a little bit more than you said. Um, <laughs> you but just that say four and oh. Oh. I said yeah. if they beat Washington. I think it carries over a little bit more than you might you might anticipate. Maybe, but again, the, under the practical circumstances, we have to see MSU actually play solid deep passing defense and. If they can't do it against Washington, I'm really skeptical they'll be able to do it against Maryland. I mean, and and, oh, and yeah. you you made yeah. a great point earlier, Reiner, about the fact that even when it was D'Antonio against Penix at Indiana, he had no answer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, that type of that – I mean, you've seen Purdue do it to, to Michigan yeah. State over the years, Northwestern, mm -hmm. Indiana, those – it was never the the downfield teams that are challenging these uh, these solid receivers. It was using the short passing game as a running game, 
right? Mm -hmm. That always sliced and diced Michigan under D'Antonio when he would run the quarters, press for man coverage, all that stuff. And I don't know if Michigan has state, excuse me, has the horses to try that coverage <laughs> it, in, in five days time uh, against uh, a very ta- against a scheme with Kalen DeBoer and, and Penix and, and, and some talented wide receivers on the outside. I, yeah, agree, I, mean, I don't anticipate them. Uh, sorry, Ryan, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. you. I don't anticipate them reinventing themselves completely, but I will say I've watched all, you know, all the Michigan games, all Michigan state games. Cause I'm not going to the, I'm not going to the games. I'm just watching them on the couch. So I've gotten to see both games pretty thoroughly. I seriously do think this is a different Michigan State defense, better than last year's defense, at least. I watched back the Western Michigan game a few weeks ago. Oh, a few weeks before the season. That game, it ended up being like 35 to 13, I think was the final in 2022. But Western had a couple turnovers. They were moving the ball. And then, you know, there were signs that that defense wasn't any good. And so far, the Michigan State, especially on that D line, and some of the guys they've added to the secondary are looking a little bit better. So, I think my bigger question is with Noah Kim and Ken and the offense and can they piece together that first half start? Because there's just, they have, they, they haven't proven that they can get that start that they'll need and they'll need to have the horses going this entire game uh, to have a chance. I mean, I watched the CMU and Richmond games and the quarterback is quarterbacks on both teams are very limited, particularly obviously Bird Manuel Jr. I mean, you know, again, it's not anything close to what they're going to face with Penix and oh no, of course, and 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 honestly with Talia and Tagovailoa the next week. I mean, it's like you're going from like two you know really lower level kind of QBs at the college level to you know some superstar level type players. I mean, at the at the college level, I mean, it's like. You know, going from like, you know, basic beginner level to Madden level. You know, yeah. <laughs> so sitting, sitting there. That last year's defense couldn't have stopped those guys. Yeah. In, uh, it, from yeah. based on what we saw, the yeah. sag off right. ten yard defense was so flawed, and it seems like they're at least yeah. different than it was last yeah. year. My la- my last point before we go to our final game: uh, sitting next to Reiner and watching and listening to just his disgust. And it's a level of quarterbacking that we've seen, like like uh, <laughs> uh, 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 on on the opposite sideline is part is has been one of the favorite parts of my uh, of my Saturday. <laughs> um, is, it, is, it, is it sort of like watching the Manning broadcast when when one of the quarterbacks makes a bad play and then Peyton when puts Zach his head? Is- he's no, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, let's take a look at the final game we've got here. Uh, Florida and Tennessee. So um, Florida is a six and a half point underdog. Tennessee obviously was uh, a bit of an offensive juggernaut last year, but uh, still a lot to be seen between these two teams. Probably the biggest test was uh, Utah and Florida. So uh, Tony, what do you got in this one? I mean, I don't feel great about it, but at home, I think everybody's very jaded by what Florida did week one at Utah. We all love to overreact. They had their own night. They had their own primetime game. They got trounced um, on the scoreboard. They had a bunch of weird, fluky things, some turnovers, some 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 weird stuff. Uh, I'm not, I'm not going to act like I saw a snap or whatever they did again. McNeese, Tech State, A&M University, whatever the hell, <laughs> uh, last week. But – uh, I mean, I mean, they got Graham Mertz, who from Wisconsin, who is a experienced quarterback. I don't know. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to sell it. I'm trying to talk myself into it. I like the points. I like teams. I like teams uh, in juicy spots at home who get points. So I'm taking Florida with the points. That's all. All I got. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you know, as far as Tennessee uh, is concerned, I mean, eh, I mean, I'm not o- overly sold on them going down to the swamp and just you know absolutely kicking their butt. 
but you know i think you know a touchdown is uh you know reasonable to assume that they they can pull that out given that they are uh i think a far better team than florida at this point um you know i do have some reservations about joe milton again this is a battle of big 10 retreads uh you know at the qb spot and you know joe milton is really i mean I think he's an inconsistent player and I worry about his performance on the road at times. And so it's, you know, it's a little different than you're coming in, you know, uh, for Hendon hooker when you, this time you're the guy and you're supposed to, you're, you're supposed to get it done. This is your, like, you're seen as your last shot. So, uh, so yeah, I, I still have some hesitancy with, uh, with Tennessee, but I just think that they're a much better team and, uh, I was not impressed with Florida. Don't forget Utah was like missing their quarterback. You know, I, I'll take Tennessee, but again, overall, I actually think the SEC is pretty down this year. I mean, if you look at their performance against uh, Power 5 non- in non-conference games, they're getting beat pretty badly. I think they're three and six against uh, uh, other, you know, Power 5 conferences. So that's not that's not terrible. Texas terrifying. hammering Alabama, Florida yeah. State hammering LSU, Miami, the two, mar- the two yeah, Miami, games there. Yeah. Yeah, Miami and them. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's not been great, and you know again Auburn can barely survive. You, lo- you love to see it. God, yeah. you love to see it, <laughs> man. I'm not even gonna pretend. Yeah, that but is just well, fantastic. Well, let's, let's wait to see what Georgia does. I mean, before oh, we enough. The SEC. Well, that's, an, that's enough. That's enough. I'm not waiting for that. All right, Andy, you're up. <laughs> Georgia, I'm pretty sure, could have their backups win like 11 of their 12 games this year. Their schedule. Yeah, so have you tough. seen that? Good point. Well, but there's, yeah, that's the other reason. Again, the, the SEC is down. So I, I would assume Georgia is going to just march right through there. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, mm-hmm. SEC has not looked great so far, um, particularly in that marquee game of Utah, Florida, and Tony. Like you said, it did, it did make me think for a second about. You know, that that Florida-Utah game, first game of this year, a lot of weird things happened. And, you know, maybe that's holding up too much uh, space in our brains here. But I can't get out of my brain some of the stuff I saw in that game. Florida looked like a poorly coached team. One yeah. of the game-changing penalties was when they had two guys wearing same the uniform. same number mm-hmm. on the field. Mm-hmm. Gave them automatic first down. Utah went down and scored, won the game with these. Utah mm-hmm. had their backup quarterback in the next week, looked like a mess, and barely beat Baylor. Who is not? That was oh my! That was the easiest spot. Just for the record, they escaped. They escaped. Oh, Utah should have lost that game fifty ways over. So exactly. So Utah is not some powerhouse, and Florida looked like. I mean, it was on the road, so you got to give them the benefit of the doubt there. But Florida looked like a poorly coached team in that game, and now they have one of the biggest games of the entire SEC East season. And I just I can't see them. And if I was putting money on it, there's no way I'd want to put it on Florida after what I saw. Uh, certain certain things will stick with you, and they and sometimes they should. Um, and I think that that uh, two guys wearing the same number, what what great coach do you know would allow that to happen? Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, Jim Harbaugh. Is that happening to any of their teams? That's never once going to happen. And if it is, someone's getting fired. It's 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 a bad look, but it's a week it's a week one thing, like right. I mean, you're still uh, learning. Uh, first year. It's it's even more inexcusable because they have like an incredible amount of support staff at Florida. I mean, they've got analysts, you know, for analysts. I mean, it's like ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> you know, they should not. That should never happen. 
And it, and I agree with Andrew. They did look like a poorly coached team. And I think that was the biggest takeaway from that. Whereas with Tennessee, Josh Heupel has never looked like a – in fact, everybody says that, you know, he schemes up, you know, things to, to their advantage to such a great degree. I mean, he's proven to be a great coach. And, I mean, again, this is – this is where coaching could really be the difference in there. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to bank on the quarterback being the difference because, I mean, I, again, I'm dubious about Joe Milton, you know, and have it since 2020 at Michigan. Yeah. Uh, so, but I'm going, I'm going to go with the coaching in this say. I think Andrew makes a great point there. It, it is a good point. And getting into the business of defending Florida is not good business. It's not the one I want to be in. Um, however, there is a difference between going to the altitude on an early weeknight game in front of 50,000 Mormons versus playing in the swamp and making it a hellscape for your opponent. So I'm just saying. I'm, also, if, if this is a half is if not this that is Rocky, If this is at Rocky Top, I'm, I mean, no chance. But I'm just... Crazier things have happened in the swamp. No, crazier things have happened, but the six and a half just doesn't scare me that much either. Six and a half, they win by a touchdown. Okay, yeah, I can see them doing that, even if they don't play that well. So that's why I'm rolling with that. Hey, I've been wrong before. I'll I'll be wrong again, but we're going to find out on Saturday, as this should be the final not terribly exciting slate. After this, I mean, we were looking for games to pick, right? For, for this week, we were thinking about South Carolina, Georgia. I vetoed that. Um, uh, Penn State, Illinois, or Penn State, I should say, excuse me, Illinois, we, we considered. But next week, much better slate and for, and, and for the rest of the year to come. So next time you hear us, uh, Michigan will be 3-0. and They will have just beat Bowling Green. I feel very confident in saying that. And we'll be looking ahead to Rutgers. Uh, so thank you for, for listening so, so far. I believe we still have a five-star rating from what I've seen on Apple Pods, so that's great. Um, if you could please continue to rate, review, subscribe, super helpful to us. Uh, and it's a good way to say thank you uh, to the people who we need to thank every time for making this possible. Executive editor, Anjanette Delgado, our editor-in-chief, Nicole Avery Nichols, sports editor, Kirkland Crawford, audio engineer, Robin Chan, Andrew, Reiner, me, you, the world. Uh, we appreciate your time. <laughs> Thanks so much. Uh, we'll see you next week. This was Hail Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.